Guard the Lieutenant Wharf. You step into my regiment, please, and bring a tricorder with you. Hi, Captain. What do you make of that? I am puzzled, sir. The only detectable bioelectric particles are your own. You did not help. I did not. To the readier room, the only and longest-running Star Trek: The Next Generation rewatch podcast. Every week of the year, we're bringing you an episode of TNG and all the behind-the-scenes magic and lore that uh, brought it all together. My name is Mitchell Mills, Chief Consultant of Services, and with me is my life partner Brandon Hobbs, ex-head of Resources Management. Brandon, how are you today? Well, Mitch, I am excited uh, uh, to talk about another episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation today. Yeah, I mean, um, it's just another week of the year, which means another couple of hours together and yeah, with another yeah. episode of TNG. A lot of, of collective hours, really. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've, we've amassed so far. Right. <laughs> um, we're going to kind of uh, incite the uh the, the the ire of probably our entire audience um can, can, can five we, people can we have enough inciting for one year <laughs> we we gotta talk about this this uh enough. young adult novel stuff <laughs> um yes it's it's a pandemic much like a real pandemic it, yes but but worse worse and uh more um widespread in some ways I, I was I was thinking because because we were talking uh, uh, and I used the word talking loosely. Um, we were uh, writing messages down and and trying to paper plane them into each other's corners for the past three hours. Getting the ninety about... degree turn is uh, <laughs> it's tough. It's yeah, you, you got to catch the wind just right, um, <laughs> which is really hard but... in a sealed room. <laughs> <laughs> the conversation we were able to have. Um, which was extremely disjointed. We we were talking about this this young adult novel thing, and um, in in the time that's that's led up to us starting the podcast here, I was thinking about how to articulate this, and um, I, I was I was thinking about how amazing it is that uh, well you know uh, like literature is considered probably the the highest um, form of entertainment right mm. in terms of sophistication, but it's almost amazing that a, a young adult book can be, uh, and often is, most likely is, like trashier than uh, than like the the trashiest video game. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, it's it, it's a it's a complete farce. It's got no um, intellectual worth. And not even that. It's like anti-intellectual. <laughs> it's like it's like reading it. Reading it almost destroys your brain cells. I buy that. I think that it, it's it's a few things, really. One, it actively makes you stupid. But two, the opportunity cost of um, not reading something else yeah. compounds the issue. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and, and all this stuff really does just read like bad fan fiction of itself. Um, and, uh, I mean... <sighs> I guess the lowest hanging fruit is Harry Potter, right? Yeah, that's the most. That's popular. that's always the one people kind of come back to. Um, there's there's that whole you know read another book. Yeah, that's type the th thing. That's the thing. It, it, like people, 
other franchises have had a, their time in the sun. The Hunger Games, the Twilight, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Aragon, but oh god, no, nobody has the, any of those as their identity. Well, even sure. even like while they're reading them as as teenagers or children, but especially not into adulthood. Yeah, there's there's never like a, like like a like big Aragon heads. They're not going to conventions cosplaying as Aragon characters. Oh, the uh, the new Aragon section of Walt Disney World just opened up. <laughs> well, you know that might happen. Uh, like like I was saying the other day, I think they're uh, I think they're making a new show out of it, which is just terrible. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure who thought that was a good idea. Um, that guy has written, I think, one other book. Um, besides his Aragon trash. Was it amazing? Well, I don't know, I didn't read it. You, you haven't read his entire um, bibliography? <laughs> I know, it's shocking. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been too busy reading Picard Meets the X-Men, so... That is your latest My Boom. Which is, a, it's a sophisticated book, it's it's true art. Oh, I, I have an announcement to make, live on the Ready Room. Okay, Sure. Um, this is, um, something I feel inclined to say, but everyone must know that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm coming out as a bibliophile. Ooh, it's very brave of you. Thank you. Thank you. I've put a lot of thought into this. I've, um, just published my updated Twitter bio Mm. and, um, I'm ready to live life grabbing the bull by... It's horns. Proverbially. And literally. Um, well, uh, y- you know, as long as you have your your snuggly blanket and your cup of tea, and uh, we gotta get you a cat, too. I need a bookshelf be all set. to take pictures of and post on the internet so I can say, right. this is my bookshelf. 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 <laughs> bookshelf. Oh, there we go. It's your bookshelf. <laughs> Have you know, have you ever seen this phenomenon, people? And this is this this exact phenomenon has been expressed in many different ways in different arena. But yeah, sure. The idea, like when someone posts a picture of their bookshelf, it's carefully curated to present a very specific image. And I, oh, I have um, that's where I keep my James Joyce novels. A little bit of right, a little bit of this, a little bit of uh, Infinite Jest, and. Uh, you know, I'm a very cultured indiv- individual. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, one thing that gets me, and I, I mean, this this may or may not uh, align with, with this kind of practice of taking pictures of of your bookshelf and posting them, but uh, the, the books is decoration mm, that thing. completely aligns. Completely. Yeah, and it's like you... Um, you go out of your way to get these old editions of of what may or may not be classic books, and uh, they're just kind of like set dressing. Um, they used to be a thing like in Forever Twenty, like some Forever Twenty Ones or whatever, mm. or like thrift stores. You would just see books on shelves. I know you're a big Apropos patron of, of uh, Forever Twenty One. It is how, or at least how their I dress catalog. myself. <laughs> Uh yeah, sometimes I'll bring a like a a lawn chair, and uh, make a day out of it. You know, I respect it, but mm-hmm. um certainly, and they sell 
just um, several books that are, I guess, the covers aesthetically go together with the sole purpose Uh of them being decoration. And yeah, sure. These decorative books will just have titles like um, Economic Discourse 1 and 2. Yes. Just. Oh my God. Nothing really concrete or about anything, especially the. Uh, of a topic that this kind of person would have a sincere interest in right yeah especially that but yeah i i mean as as we both know it's it's just made to make you look cultured if you buy it and put it on your shelf exactly um you know you're a white woman you've never read anything about harry potter don't accuse me of anything (laughs) the hypothetical (laughs) you're a white woman you've never read anything but harry potter you uh you set up your little bookshelf throw some uh uh, like uh, social discourse, economics, uh, fucking biology books on your shelf, and uh, take a selfie of you sipping your tea. Now, let me ask your opinion because there's two ways of doing this. One of them is with these kind of, um, I don't know, oblique, impenetrable topics, you know, biology, economics, whatever. And another way of doing this is with big names, um, respected names of authors and books that are people actually do read but you haven't you just have it there which one of these is more egregious to you definitely the um and you can always tell when when someone who absolutely would never read a non-fiction book has a bunch of non-fiction on their shelf okay right so so definitely the former if if like the the other one's not very good still. I mean, it's not good at all. But I could almost see someone who doesn't make a practice of reading fiction one day suddenly deciding, hey, I have all these books. Maybe I should read them. Okay, whereas the other one is just never getting opened. Never. It's never going to be touched. I, I, I buy that reasoning, but to me, I think I would go with the other option because with the the nonfiction stuff, it's more or less chosen at random. It's like, oh, whatever, this this sounds uh, intellectual, <laughs> whatever, whatever. Yeah, sure. But with, with the, um, the the actual novels and authors, that are, that's curated. That's hand-chosen. That took a lot more mm-hmm. effort for this person, this you know hypothetical guy, to um, uh, go in and deliberately create the front that he wants to put up. Like, oh, I've read... Yeah. Um, I've read Walden. Oh, yes. Walden, Waldon't. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just going to be a bunch of books that uh, you would have uh, supposedly read in high school. No, but, I, uh... I think that for the more pretentious, like the people that are really into um, impersonating somebody who to reads, read. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that they go for not necessarily deep cuts, but more respected names in uh in reading circles oh like like what oh i don't read i don't know but um (laughs) no no but i mean i mean what 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 they assign you in school tends to be the the respected uh the respected authors well you know what i mean yes but no it's yes those are the ones that you're gonna find in a literature section of barnes and noble certainly they're quote unquote the classics but if you go into a circle of readers you know, everyone's read the classics. That's kind of pro- most likely what got them into reading. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so that's not true at all. Oh <laughs> uh, well, y- you know. 
it's if you take it into other arenas, but just imagine it's like oh you know oh I just read um the Great Gatsby. I want to have a thrilling discourse on the Great Gatsby, and it's like, well, everyone did that in high school. We're not. We're beyond listen, that now. Listen, no, no, listen. You, you. Am I, am I overestimating these here. people? There, yes, there's something not connecting here with you. The Great Gatsby is. It's not so great. Um, well, no. First of all, it's 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 not. But uh, no, people go ape shit over the Great Gatsby still. Like, like. Girls will make it their entire personality to liking the Great Gatsby. Really? Do they want a, a Bone J Gats? Is that what his name is? I think it might be Gats. It's either Gats or Gats. You know what? Maybe because I'm I've not read the novel in I don't know eighty years, but <laughs> I believe it's something where he creates the the Great Gatsby identity, and his name is mm -hmm. is like Gats and. Uh, so he's kind of like a like a Batman villain. <laughs> yeah, he assumes the mantle of the uh, the Great Gatsby. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking up the characters in this novel right now, uh, and the Wikipedia section has a um, Wikipedia article has a section for the Great Gatsby video game, which is great. <laughs> oh my god! Why is that a thing? I was right. My memory did not fail me. Jay Gatsby, oh, ori job. originally James Gats. I am an amazing guy. Yeah, you might be surprised how many uh, quote-unquote people would cite The Great Gatsby as their favorite novel. Well, I, I think we're talking about two different groups, because there's definitely the no. the casual reader who has the reading equivalent of peaking in high school. Um, peeking at what? Well, that's what I do in high schools these days. But <laughs> <laughs> but there's also the the more pretentious, self assured individual where reading is not just their identity; it's something that they do actively. Yeah, sure, do. but I don't I don't think most of those people are particularly pretentious. I think the the pretentious ones will come in kind of the the genre fiction spheres like sci-fi and fantasy. Yeah, you're right. Like, because if you're actually, you know, reading challenging novels, um, looking for them, finding new ones, and um, enjoying that act, that's just that's more sincere than pretentious. So yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's completely sincere, and it's just something you do. It's you, you kind of take it for granted. It's a matter of fact thing. It's just a normal activity. I'm glad we're having um, this discussion. It's really shaping my my image of this guy that we're inventing in real time. Um, at the end of this, we're going to know exactly who to hate and why. Yeah, which is the, the real conundrum of life. But um, I think that in then in that case, it's a case of the members of the first group, the Great Gatsby crowd, trying to impress the second group by posting yes. pictures of their bookshelves. That's exactly what it is. Yes. And um and and the genre fiction guys as well. Yes. Um, who are they have to be? I'm no, I'm not going to say they're the worst, but they're pretty bad because it's like uh, at that point. I mean, it's it's like any pop culture thing where God forbid you like a thing that's popular. Um and 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 try to discuss it on any kind of um the public forum that's that's devoted to the genre, mm. you know. Uh, it's, it's going to be filled with like, you know, scoffing and like, oh, I, I read that 20 years ago and it's shit. 
Wait, wait, you mean you haven't read the fucking, uh, I don't know. So, some shit that like 12 people bought? Yeah, you, you don't listen to Bulgarian uh, yodeling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, music's even worse. Yeah. But it's the same attitude and phenomenon. Yeah. Jeez, I, I just wanted to rag on young adult fiction. Look, well, look at where we ended up. Well, let's go back there, because that is that is a well worth um, exploring. <laughs> um, I, I don't, I'm just going to keep repeating myself. That's so. true. Um, it's, I mean, it is what it is, right? I, I, one day, you know, we're going to be in a, a white room, and the doctor's going to be like, are the young adult readers in the room with us right now? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my dream is to uh, one day live in a town that uh, that has no young adult readers living in it. My, same, but just for young adults. <laughs> um, I tried to read Artemis Fowl the other day. The only person the other day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I got my I got my grandson's copy just sitting on the shelf. I mean, it's it's just been there for ages now might as well read it um yeah no i thought he'd pick it up and, and just like try to remember what it was like and uh i had to put it down within two pages it's just so bad the only person i ever knew to be into artemis fowl was a uh bespeckled <laughs> autistic individual and <laughs> i got you with that one <laughs> Uh huh. So what about him? Oh, he was just autistic, and that's my image of oh, Artemis okay. Fowl enjoyers. Also, yeah, I yeah. I can't shake the image that this novel's about a bird. Yeah, we're really dumb name, and that you know that's another thing. These 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 books, these like long running series, have stupid fucking names, right? All of them: Harry Potter, Percy Jackson. These are just a series just of unfortunate events. That was actually the name of my autobiography. <laughs> just an average day for me. Oh, he's starts nice... starts with waking up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, I I do start seeing red when I walk by the young adult fiction section and just start reading off the names. My recommendation is to keep walking. Well. What I usually do is I start appending uh, with a penis to the end of every title. Nice. And then I start giggling about it. Artemis Fowl with a penis. I mean, he mm -hmm. he likely does have a penis. <laughs> likely. <laughs> Hunger Games with a penis. Right. I, well, that's just, that's just Fridays. A another, another one is... <laughs> another one is uh, In My Ass. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that, I think that's, that's, the that's classic. a classic. Yeah. I think it's, that might be better, actually. Hunger Games in my ass. A series of unfortunate <laughs> events in my ass. <laughs> How do you feel um, about people who insist that um, reading comic books is on the same level of reading novels? Do people insist this? They insist. It's definitely a huge cope, and it's it's a cope that I can't... They don't even believe it themselves. They can't. I'm 100% I'm sure these people do believe it.
I think they're like they're like trying to make themselves believe it. Will will that thought into existence? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's yeah. It, uh, this question comes up in my mind a lot when um. There's a ton of. I don't want to. I don't want to go full mask off here, but there's a, a ton of like performative. Um, affirmation that goes on for mm-hmm. various topics, and I'm always, yeah, pretty I'm, much everything nowadays. Yeah, and I'm always curious to what extent is this all sincere? Do these do people yeah um believe all of this, or do they just just say it? Yeah, that's a good question, and and my knee jerk instinct is to to respond with um. You know, again, no, I don't think they really do believe it. It's just kind of a, I don't know, a learned reaction. Um, it's it's definitely an internet thing, mm. you know, where like twenty years ago, um, the the first reaction you would have to someone sending you a message would be to t- like call them the n word and tell them to fuck off oh, just I, because it's funny. I always said not much, you. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It was just, it was caustic. It was like, you know, right. you, you, you would say offensive things just for the sake of it. And now, you know, ever since the, the advent of, of the iPhone, it's, it's very, uh, not even slowly, it's, it's pretty rapidly gotten to the point where, um, as lower IQ people flood into the internet, they're not able to understand that. It's, it's it's not kind of all life. a joke, right? It's not real life. It's it's all kind of a big bit. Well, the, the thing the, is, the the bit is over because now your average online individual is just acting like they do all the time. They they cannot sure they absolutely cannot compartmentalize these things. And right nowadays, people who can't who otherwise could are not because there's no reason to because nobody else is and yeah no one's playing along right so yeah. it's it's a shame you're absolutely right the smartphone was the death knell of uh any kind of usable internet yeah definitely and you know i think that's where all this positive affirmation is coming from it's a, it's a it's an overbearing course correction in scare quotes by uh people who who didn't understand uh online discourse to begin with yeah so, and I, I, that's where all this is coming from. I like the idea, you know, how when you might be out in a social setting and there's pressure to be polite, and even if you don't necessarily want to, you just kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, smile and move mm-hmm. along. I, I I really enjoy the thought of people just in their <laughs> living rooms or on their phones just <laughs> feeling that pressure when they're replying to somebody, <laughs> some anonymous person online. Right, right. The one place you absolutely do not need to do that. The one place you can actually be a real human being uh, without any repercussions, except maybe getting banned from a subreddit. I've uh, I've I've met that fate many a time. <laughs> many times. <laughs> it's gotten to the point where um, Reddit just has my my IP on lockdown. Right. Uh, so if I use a VPN and make an account, and then several weeks later I log into that account without a VPN, banned instantly. Yep. Yep. It's got to be like an auto thing, huh? Yeah. Um, which, I, I I don't know. This is this is part of the changing landscape 
of the internet where mm-hmm. people are of of many different services are very very protective of who can and cannot have access to them oh sure well reddit's trying to go public i think so i remember that. i think yeah I, I think i think there's like just scrubbing everything that they can as much as possible that's why you can't say groomer anymore <laughs> yeah you can't say groomer anymore it yeah it was a big hit to the dog grooming subreddit <laughs> i bet it actually was um the wonderful thing about the word groomer is it's not even inherently about sexual stuff either right as you can groom someone to be a, like a child soldier look we agreed not I to would talk not. about this <laughs> I've, I've done it several times <laughs> there was uh, something about this it's to me it's just wild that um for this uh, particular case, all of the, I don't want to say mental gymnastics, but the the, the very complicated thinking that goes into turning this into a, a, a no-no slur, where the idea mm. is that grooming children is bad. Okay, how can we um, come around on the other side of that? <laughs> <laughs> how can we make it look good? Uh, Yeah. Well, I, I mean, and that's that's the crazy. Th- I mean, it's you know, we, we've spent the last decade or so, uh, you know, listening to people like Alex Jones ramble on and on about all the the crazy conspiracy theories uh, that that he thought were happening, and you know, you know, you, you have these like fringe internet groups that repeat and repeat and repeat these things, and now all of a sudden we're coming to realize that they were all true. I, I think that's what gets me. It's I the the people that i'm intrinsically linked to for having certain uh thoughts and beliefs tilts the hell out of me sure like i don't want to and I, I don't think i don't no one's happy about it i mean no one reasonable is happy about it no one's happy about, i'm not happy that i keep watching matt walsh videos then why do you giggle all the time when you watch them <laughs> He's like the biggest chud of all time. He is. He, 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 I, I he would even, like steal his lunch money. He even looks like the biggest chud of all time. He does, yeah. So it's like, but like, goddamn. Now, do you think that Matt Walsh is related to Joe Walsh? Who is that? That is the um, guitarist for the Eagles. Oh, right. We talked about this. We did this bit. Oh, we did do this bit. Oh, God. Cut it. Yeah. Cut it out. <laughs> edit it. Yeah, but, you know, I know what you're talking about, too, because it's like, you know, uh, one of these, one of these uh, opportunistic, you know, uh, uh, clickbait kind of guys like, like him, once they start saying something, then it gives, it gives... Uh, kind of the the extremists on the other end, the the ability to just say, well, you know, this this uh, asshole, crazy guy said it, so it can't be true. Right, and this comes in both with the 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 top of the chain, like the figureheads, and also the uh, the average commenter. Yeah, yeah. Where people, anybody who uh, retards who hold the same opinion as you are your greatest enemy. One hundred percent, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's all the that's all the discussion is on anything now. It's it's the both sides' biggest retards 
flinging shit at each other and pointing out uh, how big of a retard the other side is. Mm. And, and believe you me, they're all retards. All of them. But We're not me. Centrists. Yeah. Yeah. I I hate both sides. I really do. I really do. And it's impossible not to, because I mean the, the the conservative presence online, it's like even if you're like a for example, like a twenty something year old conservative, you act like a boomer online. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Like the average person. Like, like you, you, you can't distinguish sarcasm from from genuine arguments. Uh, you know, um, I, I'm actually going to push back here. I do not think that this is a uh, a uniquely conservative, nor nor liberal um, opinion. Yeah, I think yeah, that yeah, maybe not. Anybody who is very involved in politics is almost willfully um, blind to things like sarcasm. They they yeah, they're, sure. they're so primed to see the worst in everything that mm-hmm. they will, you know, take jokes seriously or um, read things in bad faith. And eat. Well, not only that, I mean, like, they, they, they can't afford to not do that because it's their, the only thing they do. Right. So it's like they, they either, most of the time they don't have a job at all or they or they have a very bad one. You know, dog they have water. no hobbies. Yeah, yeah, dog water. Yeah, seriously. Um. Yeah, yeah. So it's like <laughs> dog that's, walker. That's all they have to do to fill their time. Doug Walker. Uh, oh well, we're connecting the dots here. <laughs> Sometimes they, you know, they make a video about the wall and all the women that hit it. In it. <laughs> I've once again managed to come around on the centrist position. Yeah, no, I, I guess that's it. I guess uh, the answer the answer to young adult fiction is that we are centrists. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's, you know, it takes a lot to both sides the young adult debate, young adult novel now, debate. Now, uh, this, this, this is a news program. Um, it is so now. I, I want to bring up um, an interesting headline uh, that, that we got this week that... Uh, 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 Taylor Swift has uh, emitted more CO2 than uh, than some countries this year. I and um, I'm really struggling I'm just wondering, to, to keep up with this. I'm wondering how many times she had the fart to do that. Ew. <laughs> is this a real uh, not the farting part, but is this a real headline? Yeah, something like that. Now, is this based? Is Taylor Swift just a stand-in for a um, a concert singer? Any, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, and anyone with with the amount of money she has, yeah. I mean, there are the flying jets everywhere okay, okay. and stuff. I legitimately thought this. Oh, she's singing all the time, so she emits <laughs> a lot of CO two, and I'm like, what? That is hilarious. <laughs> that's a that's great. That, that's something we could work with. <clears throat> that's um. <laughs> that that is a bit of a ready room joke, isn't it? And yeah, enact a, a no talking mandate to save the environment. I'd sign up for that. <laughs> that's that's that. I'd like others too. That's a Star Trek planet right there. It's like they arrive and everyone's just miming at them, 
Oh my god, it is. And this could be an episode of Voyager, and um, you know, <laughs> Janeway's trying to communicate, and they they uncover the the history of the planet where global warming, and they admit the emissions. Oh my god! So then, um, and everyone's like acting uh, rudely to them as they're speaking, and oh, we were talking the whole time. We were hurting the planet. I didn't know. And um, right, yeah, this is a. Uh, I love that. It's more my fan fiction. <laughs> How about a planet that uh, the entire population uh, experiences nocturnal emissions, and so they have a culture of never sleeping? What do they do with all the emissions? Well, nothing, because they don't sleep. They they developed a drug that I see allows them to not sleep. But uh, but but the drug they're they're running out of uh, natural resources to make the drug. Okay, so and that's then they're gonna that's the conflict emit a lot in the nocturne. Um, yeah, they, yeah, they're 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 gonna emit so much at night that uh, it's gonna destroy their um, their solar system, along with all the their neighboring planets. Oh well, this, the stakes have never been higher. Right. So, it's up to Picard and his ragtag crew. What <laughs> 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 no, no, what what they're gonna have to do is they're gonna have to jack off the entire population of the planet before they fall asleep. <laughs> I'm really into um, these, I don't know, I, I guess, more speculative, speculative science fiction stories. Like, oh, <laughs> not not the jacking off, but like, oh, you know, they they have this drug where they don't have to sleep. Or um, what was the first example? Oh, yeah, they have to mime. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Just highbrow stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, uh, you know, maybe one episode Picard meets uh, meets the X Men. <laughs> Real speculative fiction. <laughs> what? I mean, it is it is speculative. <laughs> what if Picard met what the if Picard and Rogue kissed? Oh, you mean Rouge? Yeah, yeah, Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's lost on so many people. Oh, unlike the rest of our very easily digestible <laughs> jokes. <laughs> uh, I that I think that's internet culture because if you were online at a certain time and you were a kid, mm -hmm. so you're talking about video games, you had no idea how to spell any of these words, bro, Rouge. If you weren't online, when would you ever write these and make that mistake? That is, that yeah, sure, it, it definitely would. Well, because because you had stuff like uh, like Rogue Squadron. Ah, uh, yes. The, um, the Rogue Squadron, and then just just Rogue, I guess, was a thing, and Rouge the Bat. So, yeah, th there were plenty of opportunities for people to slip up and <clears throat> and make that mistake, and and they made it a lot. One great spelling mistake that I'd never seen outside the internet was um, spelling definitely is defiantly. Oh, yes. That's and that's all one. over the place. That's still there to this day. And I mean, yeah. the spelling errors that um, fool the spell checker are the most nefarious, right? Because mm -hmm. defiantly is a word like, oh, it's not underlined in red. It must be fine. And it's like, well. But it's, it's, it's nuts because it's, it it's just different enough that I can't believe someone would be able to make that mistake 
these people are really telling on themselves that they only read young adult fiction. <laughs> they only read Artemis Fowl. Did I ever show you that? You know they made a movie out of that, right? Yeah. Did I ever show you that scene where Judy Dench looks directly at the camera? No. Is this? Does, <laughs> does she start listing off statistics or something? <laughs> she looks like she's about to. <clears throat> no, she's she's like flying some kind of flying ship, um, Maybe. above the water, uh-huh. and 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 the camera kind of like it. At first, she's flying head on into the camera. And then it kind of circles around her to the side. So you see her from like a side view in the cockpit. And she just turns and looks directly at the camera. (laughs) In service of anything or just? No. No, it looks like an accident. It's really funny. I'll I'll, I'll pull it up later. Does she quickly look away like, ah, shit. I don't remember. Maybe. Judy Dench sounds like a... um... Like a midwife's name. Beauty Dench. Or somebody that doesn't have any shoes. How about uh, the, the people who refer to her as Dame Judy Dench every time? I'm sorry? Is Dame this a, Judy Dench. Is this a guy? Yeah. Why? Yeah, people, people... I mean, look her up. Look her up right uh, now. I, I am. She's, uh, she's an old woman. Yeah. She's, she's I, I had no a idea handsome old woman. <laughs> look up, look up. Yeah, you look up Judy Dench. Like half the sources are gonna call her Dame Judy Dench. Is this like a every thing? single time? Like, like a yes, woman that's that gets exactly knighted? what it is. Okay. Yes. I mean, there are people who do that with Patrick Stewart. And, yeah, uh, that's stupid too. It is dumb. It is dumb. The Patrick could always ask us to call him Sir, and I, I, I refused. I did call him Sir, though. <laughs> well, you were ahead of your time. I was. Now, here's the thing. There's um, what do what do you call this? Oh, fuck, I forget what what was I about to say. Oh yes, um, going back to our general disdain for anybody who's ever picked up a book. Um, <laughs> I, at some point, we're just that's that's exactly what it's gonna be. I, uh, I can't believe these assholes are reading. I saw a um, a guy on the internet making an impassioned defense case for uh terry pratchett novels but every time he referred to the author <laughs> he exclusively said sir terry <laughs> terry pratchett is um a, a whole other beast isn't he a whole other a whole nother even a whole nother <laughs> a whole nother <laughs> you're an a whole nother <laughs> Now, Terry Pratchett, he wrote, what did he write? Discworld? Yeah. I was really disappointed to learn that this was not a um, a world of, like, geometric shapes talking to each other. Like, early CG animated uh, polygons and, and Oh, th- that's, uh, uh what, what was that book? Flatland? Oh, yes. That is that is what I'm thinking of. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I could, they're very similar titles. I, I had learned this and then unlearned it and then applied right. it to something else. <laughs> <laughs> Flatland also has to be uh, the most obvious and and clumsy allegory ever. 
Well, on the Wikipedia page, it says it's a satirical novella, and because it's satire, that means I love it now. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to balance in my head right now what's worse, Flatland or Animal Farm? But it's probably Animal Farm, just because of its audience. Yes, but I, I've i never read Flatland. What is it satirizing? Uh, uh, class distinctions and stuff? Oh. I don't know. I forget. I read it a long time ago. Really playing, but to, I, I to remember the Indian audience. I remember being, I remember being very, um, very unimpressed by it because it's a it, it, the guy might as might might as well have just written a nonfiction book about how what he thought about society yeah. at that point, which is also basically Animal Farm. Yes. Like, oh, what if uh, people were evil? Yeah. <laughs> but they're animals. Even animals they can do, be evil. They don't even do animal things. They're just they they say they're animals, but they just do people things the entire time. <laughs> I I have to um I, I read Animal Farm recently, not for the first time of course, but um For the last time? Well, I will be dead soon, so <laughs> if I live long enough to read Animal Farm again, just put me in the fucking ground. <laughs> I think that there's a big audience of people that really like obvious allegory and symbolism because they never experience anything that has symbolism. So the first time that sure. they catch something, they feel really Or they really just clever. don't engage with it when it does show up. Right, because it's not um, not so right. obvious. Right. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. We're entering. You know. Like again. It's 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 guy who's only watched Boss Baby territory, and uh, that's the kind of guy who's fascinated with Animal Farm. Yeah, that's a really good explanation of it. Oddly enough. And you know, like I like 1984. I think that's a good good book. I I wouldn't say uh, that Animal Farm is a bad book either, as long as you're viewing it as for something as simple as it is. I suppose so. I mean, it's it's a little fairy tale almost, but it's right. Uh, I guess it's been hyped up a bit. It's certainly, but with the idea in mind, all right, this is just a fable. Then, whatever, you know, sure. Wiki Wikipedia calls it a beast fable. <laughs> I've seen some beast fables in my time. Let me tell you. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, when when can I get the um the, the porn parody of Animal Farm? I, that has to have happened already. Oh, that happened. <laughs> Some woman getting fucked by a pig. Oh, well, that just happened. <laughs> it's fucking corkscrew penis. It is corkscrew, isn't it? It is. Tis, even. Hmm, tis. Mm, yeah, that's great. Corkscrew? Corkscrew. Corkscrew. How about Stephen King? Oh God. Um, I refer. What an asshole. I refer. You say asshole? No, no, I said asshole. Okay. I refer back to that Harry Potter review where the the writer bemoaned that terrible young adult novels like Harry Potter were priming uh, children to read Stephen King as they got older. Right. Right. Yeah, and it's true. It's true. It's absolutely true. 
And I, I was floored by by that observation because I would have never connected the two, but like it's too, <laughs> it really is just the exact same thing. There's a, a disconcerting number of adults who um, will uh, enthusiastically tell you about their admiration for Stephen King and, mm-hmm. his, and his work. And it's it never ceases to surprise me. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. I mean, he's, he's his prose is never anything to write home about, and conceptually, I mean, you, you like Kubrick one up them, and he got all pissy about it. <laughs> I forgot that. I mean, yeah, pretty good though. The um. The thing that gets me though is that at least the Tom Clancy guy will will tell you right to your face, like, "Yeah, books suck," but the the Steve yeah 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 he's like he's like one of those operator guys, right? He's like, "Yo, I wish I had a gun so I could kill people." <laughs> it's like I, I don't like reading, but it's Tom Cl- he gets it. Yeah 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 <laughs> totally. But the Stephen King guy is just uh, just beyond. It's saving. like faux intellectualism. Yes. Now, when it's like so you Steve, buy these books at the grocery store, Stephen King is not young adult. Um, no, might, but he may as well be. Right, right. But what I mean is, because he's not young adult, um, people—it's a different approach when when buying and choosing these novels to read. So, well, yeah. what's worse, the Stephen King guy or the young adult guy? Probably still the young adult guy. Okay. Because I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say Stephen King doesn't have a few good books, at least. I mean, he, he's written 500 of them, so a couple of them have to be good. The uh, the monkeys and the typewriters? Yeah. Stephen that, King is an odd-looking man, too. He'd have to be to, to be Stephen King. <laughs> How do we feel about H.P. Lovecraft? Um... I I really respect his views on race relations, but his books <laughs> I could never get into. <laughs> I like the name of his cat. Yeah, uh, Spot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. What does the HP stand for? <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> Hewlett Packard. <laughs> I I read the his, I've only read one of his uh, stories. And uh, it was a short story. It was about... It's, it was about interdimensional dogs that that can get you by coming out of corners. <laughs> so the, the protagonist, in a, in a you know, kind of um, stereotypical descent into madness, plastered all of the corners in a room such that he was in like a rounded cocoon. Sure, and um, you know, eventually the plaster wears down, and they, the dogs catch him unawares. And it's not a very long story, but I was like, okay, this is fine. <laughs> I wouldn't want to read, you know, twenty other versions of this story across his <laughs> entire works, but sure, it's fine. One one thing I will say about him is that he's uh, he does a good job of keeping things exciting. He's a good like pulp, yeah, writer for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of that comes down to um, what is left to the imagination. But at the yeah. same time, I get the sense that many of his stories just end with um, an unsatisfying lack of detail. 
to the point. Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the guy goes crazy and his cat doesn't save him. Right. <laughs> save me! Uh, I almost <laughs> the, the cat whose name we can't stay. <laughs> you know, earlier versions of the Readier Room would have would have named the cat. No, they wouldn't have. No, they wouldn't have. We draw the line there. It's At H.P. Lovecraft's cat? It's, it's a very vague line, but we still draw it. We, um... You know, we still purport to be human beings with uh, sensitivity and heart. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we do sensitivity training every week. Yeah, it's weird. I thought we would have graduated by now. But, uh... <laughs> I just, well, I well <laughs> doing the Readier Room every every week, really, uh, it's really trying. <laughs> I'm really trying to get this show off the <laughs> fucking ground. Whoa! So, um, all right. Why don't we why don't we do question of the week? Well, before that, I um, I have to share news from my life. We spent forty minutes talking about your life. Why can't I talk about my life? Uh huh. Um, I've been, and you've probably heard me the the pitter patter of little footsteps as I as I leave the the share house here. But yeah, um, I've been nights running for the past week. Mm-hmm. From around midnight to one one thirty. And it's a great way to clear my head of all the bullshit that you subject me to. That's nice. Yeah. It's uh, it's fun. I mean, I've I've been in and out of running at different points in my life. I've consistently enjoyed it though. And I really, really like the immense muscle pain you get the the following day. Yeah, it feels really good. It feels like you did something. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, I was going to make a, like, oh, I've been running. and Boy, are my arms tired. I almost said joke, but that's not really a joke. But I was, I was going <laughs> to say that. Yeah, but the thing is, my arms actually are very, very tired from you know, <laughs> swinging them as I from run. From flailing them around. Yeah. <laughs> do you, when you my run... My running is great, though. It is. When you run, do you do the, um, the limp wrist that uh, is apparently better to do? I run like an anime girl. <laughs> With toast in your mouth? <laughs> I mean, that's that's an essential aspect of it, yeah. I um, I run like Sonic the Hedgehog. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, better, uh, you're aerodynamic that way. Right, well, I mostly meant that my legs become like a comically spinning circle under me. <laughs> they become like a Mobius strip? Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, my arms are stationary, just ready to go. But that's only when you're at max speed, of course. Yes, yes, yes. I do start things off with a nice drop dash. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know that that's that's why you run at night because you you got to make sure there's no one in the way to to kind of uh, trip you up. Right. I mean, that's an issue of public safety at that right. point. And and plus, you know, you'll you'll lose your uh, your past signpost if you stop. Yeah, in the middle of uh, hitting top speed. Yeah, the, the, you'll never be able to come back. The prime source of my immortality was uh, accidentally going back into the past on a run one time and not being able to come back out. Right. I've just been reliving that same loop, and for some reason, at the end of the loop, I choose to go running again, which just resets things. But I can't. I'm caught in a space-time loop. And you're not helping. 
Well, I mean, the, the, the readier room must go on. You're not allowed to leave. This is, without a joke, the 45th time we've done the readier room. Yeah, we're going to finish it again. We're going to get to season seven. We're going to say, that was fun. Let's not do it again. And then I'm going to go running, and I'm going to be thrown back. Well, it's nice to know we finish it. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't like to mess with space-time continuum so much. I don't mean to spoil things, but look forward to that. We do get to the end of this journey. Uh, so I'll do the question of the week, which by this point I could recite to you verbatim without... Um, <laughs> having read it um so this week's question of the week comes i always struggle with this just if we're being candid about past lives um jonathan who who's, jonathan jonathan who asks kapla admirals i'm curious what do you two even know of klingon culture I happen to be an expert, you know. I've brewed my own blood wine and dined on the finest targ every night while visions of sugar plum battles and victories dance in my rigid head. I challenge you. Is there no honor in the entertainment industry? Are you two just dirty patuck? Oh, can't believe you'd say that. Prove your honor. Well, well, uh, I'll leave that to you. Jonathan, John, Jonathan. Uh, if if that is your real name, I uh, I will have you know that uh, even even during uh, my Jock Tala, uh, I was I was expertly trained and uh, masterful at the use of of the the Duktag and of course the Botleth. Is, are uh, are those inherently honorable forms of combat? Just to be sure, they they are. Yeah, of course they are. As long as you become one with them. The only thing and, I'm uh, one with is you. Oh, that's, that's nice, honey. Thanks. Is that uh, is that kosher in, in Klingon society? Uh, that's, you're thinking of the Jews. Oh! Then no. No. Uh, but I, uh, I've but seen yeah, you training. I, I mean, by, by, I've seen yeah, I mean... By the time, by the time, by the time I had, uh, you know, been been promoted to the rank of Beck, I, I was I was the best Suvol on my ship. That's really uh, that's surprising that you had it in you to to make it to that that rank. Come on, come on. You never believed in me. Well, I mean, you come in one day and you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be Beck, and uh, I. Yeah. <laughs> I'm there with my 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 Klingon to English dictionary, flipping through the pages. Um, I'm not an expert on Klingon culture. I'm the odd duck here, but um, I I get honor in my own ways. Um, you know, I I help strangers. I help little old women, and I've never killed a man without looking him in the eye. No, that's important. Yeah, that's honorable. Right. Now, dishonor, dishonor among thieves is uh, those people who stab in the back or uh, snipe somebody out of a second-story window. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, you know, spawn kill. Yeah, or teabag. Or, or uh, dress up like a man when they're a woman um, to join the army. Right, right, right. Or uh, is this a, a G.I. Jane situation? Uh, no, I was thinking of someone who had hair. Ah, I see. 
I see. Well, you know, you just get their name out of your mouth and we'll be good. <laughs> there, there's no honor uh, in insulting a man's wife. No, no. Not at all. Right. But you've heard it here first. The Readier Room is the most honorable podcast available. That's right. Uh, eat your heart out, Orb. Yeah. The Orb, um, Ladies of Trek, um, The Ready Room, all full of dishonor. Especially The Ready Room. Yeah. yeah. Just disgusting. Um, the Captain's Chair. Oof. Oof. Um, Tuesday Trek. No honor. Uh, the Artificial Tango. The, uh, the Artemis Fowl. Earl Grey. I think of all the, the names, Earl Grey is the one that just pisses me off the most. It's awful, isn't it? It's really bad. I, what does is, what is Earl Grey do, anyway? Like, what do they talk about? Yeah, it's uh, Earl like Grey a... is a podcast dedicated uh-huh. entirely to Star Trek The Next Generation, not an episode review show. Earl Grey explores specific elements of TNG through unexpected topics that truly capture the spirit of exploring every nook and cranny of Star Trek. Okay. <clears throat> On this episode, we're going to talk about Data's humanity. Yeah, exactly. There's one about polygamy. On this episode, we're going to talk about Picard's desk crystal. <laughs> well, that that would have been uh, helpful uh, for both of us <laughs> last week. <laughs> uh, yeah, somehow they get like an hour and a half out of these things. If if you're Riker, never go to sleep. Um, which I, I, I imagine the entire conceit of that could be covered in about one minute where you um, you you describe the plot to a handful of episodes, which is all the same, where Riker goes insane and then stops being insane. What I like are the um the in the description, not an episode review show. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like the, the shameful like they, existence they, that would be. You think you're better than us? Get out of here. Well, you know, we're still going. They uh they ended two years ago. I guess they ran out of um Random topics to talk about. <laughs> they had 333 episodes. That's disgusting. That's it's nuts, more, isn't it? There's more episodes than Star Trek had. <laughs> what the hell? Is well, there, I mean... Is their last episode like a tearful goodbye? Uh, let's see. Their last episode was... Uh, I will feel it for the both of us. Uh... I said that once. It's not a good line. Uh. Now, if we separated the podcast into uh, the first hour and a half and the second hour and a half, we'd have like 150 episodes. That's true. We'd also have a a Star Trek agnostic alt-right podcast. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's only a matter of time before those hit pieces start rolling in. Yeah, the re- the readier room, um, a group of chuds, <laughs> local Democrat voters actually hate black people. Yeah, that, that, never mind. <laughs> I'm not going to contribute to that one. 
lest I get myself in some hot water again. Hot water. Hot water, hot water. Well, thank you, um... Fuck. John... Jonathan. 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 You've had you've had forty something cycles to get this right. I got it right on I think on number thirty three, and I rode that high for too long. I forgot to practice. You lost it, it huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you if you're like John, and you would like us to answer your uh, question of the week, you can send it to us at the Radio Room at gmail.com. It's with capital T and two capital R's, or you can tweet at the Radio Room with your question, and we will answer it on our very insightful question of the week segment. <laughs> couldn't get that out without laughing <clears throat> so we're gonna move on to the episode of star trek after we take a very very deliberate nice. break see you in a bit and we're back to talk back. about star trek the uh we're back talk about that show uh once again uh what do we have? Reunion. Yeah. Uh, I'll start with this one. I I think this might be my favorite episode. Huh? I think this might be my favorite episode of TNG. What about the most toys? I mean, that one's up there. I'm not saying that this one is. I'm going to leave myself uh, deniability. Just in case I uh, am falling prey to recency bias, but I have seen this before, of course. But um, I think this episode is excellent. I'm actually surprised. Yeah, that uh, that you say that. Uh, not because I I think otherwise, but uh, I I just I, I thought I thought you might take umbrage with a few things. I thought I would too, to be honest. Um, Alexander shows up, and I'm like, no, not him. Um, one, one, <laughs> one or two other things that make me um, kind of that discourage me, but mm-hmm. none of these things actually become issues with the episode, which is why I ultimately liked it so much, is that it doesn't have much of anything working against it, and it's got a whole lot working for it. Yeah, sure. Um, this is one of the f- first times I would, I feel compelled to use the phrase space opera. Um, it, it has a lot of those, those vibes. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, it actually does, kinda. Well, there's, um, there's like, there's murder, there's political intrigue, there's romance, there's, there's, uh, like... A rather dramatic, you know, introduction of a unknown child. Um, mm-hmm. All this family drama going on of uh, shame and dishonor, and it, it's not to say that any of this is is highbrow stuff, and really neither is opera at, at the end of it. But it it just has that more dramatic flair to all the proceedings. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's particularly great because it's Worf. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get to see this kind of. Um, I think this is the most vulnerable he's been. Certainly. And uh, you know this. This is why he became such a popular character. 
because um, we had, I mean, Ron, Ron Moore, I think, writes Klingon stuff amazingly. He's he's very like into the little details, the weapons, the culture, the ships. I mean, a lot of that um, continues to be introduced in every time he writes. Uh, yeah, Klingons. yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's always coming up with new stuff. Mm. Um, so it's like there, there's that's part of it, but I, I he just really knows how to work with Klingons as people too, like as as a believable race of of people, and uh, Worf really benefits from that. Mm. So I just completely love this episode, and I the the crazy thing is that when I started rewatching it this week, I I knew what was going to happen. I knew the beats of the story. But I do not recall enjoying this episode as much as I did this time, at all. Yeah, I, I agree, I agree. Uh, I mean, we've both seen this episode probably a handful of times at least. Mm. Um, and yeah, this this is probably the first time that it's, that it's hitting me how good it is. And maybe it's just because I don't, I, I until now I had never tended to watch Star Trek all the way through every week mm. you know i'd go on long hiatuses or just you know completely skip things altogether. pick random episodes yeah so maybe maybe it's just coming off of like i know how bad it gets um <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it is this very recently burned into my mind um and i know how good it gets and yeah this, this is this is really great i was kind of um, i was kind of hoping you would dislike the episode so we could have a nice little fight well, I'm, you know, I'm sure there's going to be things that I can point out that aren't particularly great, but, um, but yeah, I mean, th that's that's kind of the problem. This is just a great episode. Um, but, uh, I mean, w you know, we do have uh, uh, one interesting thing, Jonathan Frakes directing. Right. Um, while acting in the episode. Yeah, yeah, imagine that. <laughs> Barely, but yeah, he, he does it. Um, Frakes was ecstatic that he got to direct a uh well in his words a, a non-gay episode right um after he did uh the offspring which, um, which was pretty gay if we're being it was honest. it was gay yeah i mean i don't blame him but um the, the the fascinating thing uh and one of the most unique things he did as a director was he had this this very strict regimen mm. um was that was that regiment or regiment oh sorry regiment Ah, um, I see. He he had a regimen with his regiment of Klingon actors. Mm. Um, every every actor who played a Klingon, uh, he would call them in uh, first thing in the morning. They they get they'd get their hours before everyone else. And um, at this point, Frakes had um, he he'd become kind of disenfranchised with Big Onion. So it was always his he, crusade. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he he needed his onions, so he he became um with with the money that he got from from Trek up to this point, he started his own onion farm, and um every morning he'd he'd bring a whole and I mean his onions were big, they're like big bulbous things, and he'd bring a whole onion for each uh each Klingon actor, and uh, he would sit there and and watch all of them, um and you know to just to ensure that they they ate the whole thing. Um, wanted, before they started filming what was it he said you have to eat the whole thing because it it's got yeah estrogen uh, or something yeah estrogen estrogenogic obturation i think um 
yeah, he 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 wanted he wanted uh, passionate performances mm. from the Klingons in this episode. Uh, the stakes are high. The emotional stakes are high. That is so. Uh, I mean, it, it did end up working out well. At the very least, it led to the most uh, aromatic set we've ever had. Certainly, certainly. Um, and you know, homegrown onions really do smell different. They do, and they smell as different as they hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you know, when you're when you're the one in the no uh, cap, no cap. When you're the one in the director's chair, you, th- these are the types of executive decisions that you get to make. And uh, Freaks took full advantage of that. Yeah, I, it's uh, he's he, he was a more creative director than we'd ever had. Mm. In that kind of, uh, I I noticed maybe one of the very first shots of the episode, um, is this low shot of Riker, Picard, and Worf behind them, where they're sitting in their chairs on the bridge, and Worf's at tactical, and it's it's just a relatively well framed shot that uh, is grabbing. It grabs in a way that mm-hmm. most of the shots don't. Freaks, as yeah, you know, as loath as I am to admit it, is kind of a competent director. Yeah, yeah he really is. He really is. Uh, I, I, God, I don't really have anything bad to say about right the direction of this episode, the cinematography, uh, all that. I mean, the music—it's all on point. Everything's just done so well. Usually when uh, one of the actors would direct an episode of TNG or any other production I've been on, it's always this, um, it, it's a lot of humoring. like like, like Yeah, it's, it's like a gimme, you know, it's, I want to be a director. Like when a, a kid would go and visit the pilots on an airplane in the cab. I guess they don't do that anymore, but... <laughs> um, they, get, they get to drive the, uh, the bulldozer. Right, right, they put on an oversized you know hat of some sort and uh they uh they 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 cover it in three feet of uh bulletproof steel and uh rampage throughout the town (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) i hate it when that happens it's ever increasing uh increasingly common occurrence whenever i go out on the town i'm always wary people always shout (laughs) 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 oh jesus Uh, yeah. They, they, anyway, they, what are we talking shout, about? Oh, there's the, the killdozer. It's the killdozer. <laughs> Not again. It's a killdozer. <laughs> a Dracula pops out the hatch. Oh my god. Look, I. My my own mother was the victim of a killdozer. I can I can talk about this. <laughs> I've been a, uh, uh, recently reobsessed with the killdozer. Re- really, that's your latest. That's that's your latest my boom. The killdozer. Yeah. Yeah. What's so? It's, it's really impressive. What's so electrifying about the killdozer? 
Well, you know, I mean, I think we've all kind of felt uh, discontent. Felt a certain way about about people kind of screwing us over. And this guy really took matters into his own hands. I mean, I felt that before too, but not enough to kill those. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's helped by the fact that he didn't he didn't hurt anyone. So then the killdozer really didn't live up to its name. But what did what did he do? He took down a bank. He took down like several buildings, like at least half a dozen, probably but, more. But the bank was his primary target, was it not? I don't know if it was his primary. I think his primary target was the the guy's building the steel mill or whatever next to him. Uh, now, here's a here's an ethical conundrum for you. Mm. If you're you know, minding your own business and you see that your neighbor is surreptitiously constructing a killdozer, <laughs> do you tell anyone? <laughs> no, I simply wait for him to complete it and destroy my building. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you're taking out your garbage. He's coming home from work, and you're like, "Hey, he's like, hey, yeah, I saw you building a killdozer. Uh, <laughs> what are you planning to do with that?" <laughs> it's quite the uh, killdozer you got there. <laughs> What's the mileage on that baby? Uh, yeah, I used to have a killdozer myself. Not 20 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> you used to take the kids on rides throughout the village. <laughs> yeah, you know, I killdozed a time or two. the street. <laughs> Just killdozed my way across the crosswalk. The uh, uh, hip new company comes out with a convertible killdozer. The top comes down. <laughs> Which is a big improvement because he couldn't get out of it. He had to kill himself because he couldn't get out. <laughs> That's also my plan for escaping various situations. <laughs> I learned this cool trick from the movies. Um, I keep a pill of cyanide stashed under my tongue at all times. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, must be nice having that option. Yeah, it's it's assuring, really, a reassuring even. I um yeah. Have you ever been in line at the DMV or government office, and uh, you know, it's like if I don't, if I'm not seeing in the next, I'm I'm taking the pill. Sure, wish I had a cyanide pill right about now. Yeah, I use that to um, emotionally blackmail uh, people as well. Like if I'm not getting my way in a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to kill myself. Right. And then they're like, no, you're not. And you're like, I got the pill. And like, oh, okay. All right. We'll get Denny's tonight. Right, right. We'll, we'll say ready or we'll say anything. Whatever. <laughs> ready. <-a. laughs> oh, Lord. So. Uh, All right. But the reunion. Yes. The reunion. 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 So we got. Um, we we got we got quite a few people back here. We got we got um Kaylor. We got Susie back as Kaylar. Yep. Right? We got we got Patrick back for Duras. Oh that Patrick. And uh yeah, Mass Massett. Um and uh 
the uh, the wonderful Charles Cooper. Right, the late Kempeck. God the, bless him. The late great Charles Cooper. Yeah, uh, who actually uh, he he had uh, quite the effect on this episode conceptually. Yeah, he was. I'd say the primary inspiration. Um, if we're gonna get to the plot in a bit, but um, Kempeck dies. He's been poisoned by poison bloodline, and uh, that leaves a power vacuum inside of the Klingon Empire. And we knew that... And it's threatening to suck them all up. <laughs> right, it's going to decompress the entire universe. Um, <laughs> we knew that Charles was also on his way out, so to speak. Um, mm. We actually we took direct inspiration. Charles always had a bit of a drinking problem, poisoned his liver, a lot of wine. Mm-hmm. He wined and dined one too many times. Mm. So, Lots of dining. Right. So we knew that we, if we were ever going to involve the High Council again, um, and Kempek wasn't there, people, where's Kempek? He's my favorite Klingon. So we had to right. write, write him out, and it kind of opened the door to do this grander story about um, you know politics in, in the Klingon Empire. And you know Charles was cool with it. You know he he was coming to terms with his death at the time. And I think that this episode was kind of a vessel for that that um, emotional readiness. Well, you know, the, the, the serendipitous thing, too, is that um, those scenes where Kempek is dead in the chair, uh, he's actually dead there. Which is he why... He died on set. That's why we were able to tase the body without any adverse effect to, uh, to Charles. Right, and and you know, you see him glow. I mean, it's, that's the a ridiculous amount of heat. To it, uh, achieving that effect took some ingenuity, um, to just to get a, a a stun rod, a taser that could heat something so hot so fast. Right, right. Um, we did have permission from his family to do that. Right, uh, we got it after the fact, but they did ultimately consent. Yeah, so that's all that really matters. Right. Now, um, because, you know, he's dead, whenever someone else close to me dies, I always say, well, they're hanging with Mr. Cooper now, up in yep. heaven. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what we used to say. I can't wait until Will is hanging with Mr. Cooper. <laughs> hanging with Mr. Cooper sounds like a Tom Hanks film. <laughs> sounds like a a bad sitcom. Oh, wait. Now, <laughs> let, let me challenge you. Do you know the difference between hanging with Mr. Cooper and a minute with Stan Hooper? Uh, is this where I ask, no, what's the difference? Well, this isn't a joke. Just to set your expectations accordingly. No, what's the difference? Well, they're both sitcoms. One of them involved um, some some tall black man, and the other one was Norm mcdonald uh I, norm's great or he was then he fucking died but he has the worst sitcoms ever of all time yeah i know i can't imagine i mean i think it's a double whammy right he's probably not a good actor definitely not a good and actor. um the the producers of the show the studio uh, everyone involved in in those higher up positions probably they like, don't get him. Right. 
So. And I mean, just imagine that you're, let's say you get Norm, you get it, and you're a comedy writer. How do you write a 23-minute sitcom <laughs> that highlights Norm's <laughs> style of humor? Mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't, it's, it fundamentally doesn't work. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's basically a guy, like, sleepwalking through life. Right. Which is relatable. Yeah, but uh, not, not funny, funny when, he, when he's not the one, like, observing it for you. Right. I, uh, I've spent enough time revisiting the Norm sitcoms on YouTube to know that I do not value my time very highly. And that, that's the problem too with sitcoms. When you're like the the uh, the main character of the sitcom, you're always the straight guy, right? Whereas, uh, we, well, usually you are. We know that Norm was in fact deeply closeted, so that it never worked right. for him to play the straight guy. Right. It was tragic. Yeah. Now, um, have you ever watched Queer Eye for the Straight Guy? Uh, quite a bit of it. Yeah. Yeah, I was on that show. Really? You know, I worked on that show. Oh, okay. But I, t- I, you know, always say that I was on it because I was on mm. the set. Like, were, I was were you on the it. were you the titular queer eye? No, I was uh, the titular the. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, I can work with that. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, I I leave you adrift, bereft of it's like 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 the guy you play tennis with who just like shoots the ball <laughs> up into the fucking air, and flies into the forest. Well, sometimes you just have to, you know, it's your serve. You serve up something else. <laughs> Volleys end. S- serve up a can of whoop ass. Have I ever told you about my uh my father's can of whooping? No. Okay. This is a real story. Okay. Back when I was a kid, you know. 1920s. Yeah, however many hundred years ago. Um, there was a can on top of my family's, I guess it was more of an ice box at the time than a refrigerator. Like a literal box with ice in it. And, you know, the can was just there and it was out of reach of all the children. And it, it had a life of its own. You know, it was spoken of and... My father always referred to it as his can of whooping. And uh, there would be threats like, oh, I'm going to open the can of whooping. Because he wouldn't say whoop ass because, you know. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, he he <laughs> he had the constitution such that he would not say ass, but would still threaten to beat his children. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was just always there. And it took... 20 or so years before one of us deigned to grow up into an adult to reach on top of the icebox and open the can ourselves before we found out that the only thing inside of it was a fake mustache. <laughs> the implication being that uh, uh, if, if you misbehaved enough, he would put the fake mustache on. <laughs> no, don't make me wear the mustache. And He would put it on himself and then diddle you. Uh, yeah, as well. punishment. Well, no, that was more of a reward. <laughs> now, did he ever glow? Was he a? Gl- he was not a, quite a glowy. <laughs> we 
which is the name Glow, of my glowy, uh, but a goodie. It's the name of my young adult novel. Not quite a glowy. <laughs> <laughs> so reunion, the very first scene. Reunion, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, the uh, the Enterprise is um, they're investigating radiation anomalies. Uh, um, it'll never not uh, amaze me your capacity to remember the uh, the trivial well, set dressing. You know what's you know what's happened though. Like the thing is, like I've experienced this so many times where we'll start talking about an episode, and I will just I'll be like, "How did they get in this situation?" Yeah, and I I, I just I found it annoying enough to the point where I'm like, I I will intentionally remember all these these stupid setups just so you don't uh, have to um... just well, you so you don't sound like an idiot, you know. Um, it's never occurred to me to not sound like an idiot. Well, I, I figure I figure we're doing that ninety nine percent of the time. We might as well sound uh, sort of smart hmm. once or twice an episode, you know. That's uh, um, that's my go to for um, when I, you know, concoct stories to tell about TNG. I just want to sound smart. Right, right. Which uh, you know, that's what we do here. Yeah, like um, like that time I you know corrected and edited an entire script by myself because the science was all wrong and. And I said, I said, that's not how quantum mechanics work. And right. Yeah, no, that's right. And, um, and, and you brought that script in the next day. Everyone gave you a standing ovation. Um, right. I remember Neil deGrasse Tyson was there. He, he, he gave you a medal. He put it around your neck. Yeah. And then he kissed himself in the mirror. <laughs> Old habits die hard, I guess. <laughs> Excuse me while I kiss myself in the mirror. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> yeah, no one's ever made that joke before, asshole. It's, I, I'm flattered that you would refer to it as a joke. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, there's something there for sure. But uh, we're talking about reunion. Um, Are we though? I do want to. I do want to note before before we before we get too far. Uh, Worf's little little secret uh, message here. Yes. Um, he he reads off. He, there's like a bearing reading of uh, Klingon vessels approaching the ship, uh, and this is within like the first thirty seconds of the episode. He, he says bearing zero one zero mark two three seven, and if you read it backwards, uh, it's actually a subtle nod to the date of the Saturday Night Massacre. Which which notably preceded Saturday Night Live by by two whole years, so there you go. Just you know, a little serendipity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just kind of funny the things we got right. Now Saturday Night is all right, both for fighting and massacring. Apparently, <laughs> who'd thought? Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk? I thunk quite often. I'm a big thunker. Hmm. Hmm. One might call me a thunkalunker. A thunk lover. Yes. It's I. Uh, I buy my thunk lovers pizza every every week. Nothing. All right. Um. So. <laughs> <laughs> right in the forest. <laughs> So uh, the Klingon ship approaches, and Kalar comes aboard, 
but not alone. Kalar. Kalar? Right. Kalar? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're right, Kalar. I was, I was just, I was just echoing the, the name Kalar. Yeah. She's, she's joined, she's flanked by Alexander. Alexander. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the namesake of the, uh, the first Master Chef Junior winner. Indeed. And uh, immediately, you're like, what? 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 Yeah. Yeah, you, you do like a Harrison Ford face. Like, what? Is that what Harrison Ford is known for? Yeah, he does that like weird rubber face thing. I thought he was known for crossing rivers. Ah, not bad. Not bad. You made me think. And, you know, that's, that's, that's all I can ask for. All right. Um, so how do you feel about the introduction of Alexander? Um, conceptually or, or practically? Uh, either's fine. Maybe both. Uh, it's tough. Um, because conceptually, I like it. Mm -hmm. But Star Trek is a show that um by its own nature can't let a character evolve like this and i'm talking about Worf hmm. in a normal way um you know which which is why he hands alexander off to his parents at the end because he's got to be available to go on wacky adventures right uh, for the next can't five be responsible seasons. for a kid right so he comes off as a deadbeat dad which is uh, uh, in pretty much every aspect, <laughs> a little on the nose. We we uh, ironically enough, um, I think I've mentioned this to you. This problem came up with in DS Nine at the very end of of the series, where Cisco is spirited away to join the um, the prophets, and uh -huh. James Avery had. A problem with that because he didn't want Cisco to be depicted as leaving his family um, because okay. of, right because right. of stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. So it's just straight up, like literally, and uh, that's funny. It is funny, but yeah, I mean, we get that here. Um, Worf throughout the episode. And obviously it's in a different context, but throughout the episode, he, he refuses to take responsibility for his kid. And then at the end, even after uh, uh, the kid's mother is dead, um, he, he tells his kid, uh, I'm sending you away because I, I need to be available for poker night. Um, now, I... and, you know, they, they could have worked this into the, the, the show in the future, but I mean, I don't... well, Alexander does come back, but. Yeah, but I mean, like, it, there's no reason Alexander couldn't just be, like, around. No, because when they bring him back, he is just around. He stays on the ship. Yeah. But they're... I, I don't want to say that the characters are incapable of growth, because ostensibly this episode is all about Worf's character growth and his development. Um, yeah. <clears throat> how he's uh, kind of coming to terms with having a son in relation to his, his reverence for Klingon culture and how that mm -hmm. would uh, negatively impact Alexander. And I, I thought that little arc was, was, was satisfying. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. 
I don't disagree. It's it's um pretty much what it should be. It's just that the I don't know. <laughs> it's it really is just the nature of the show where it's like you know this isn't gonna end the way it should, mm. which is uh Worf taking responsibility for his kid. <laughs> Uh, instead of sending him away, but um, you know, whatever. It, if 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 that needs to be the concession, then so be it. I agree. It's it's a good arc. It's paced well. But I and uh, it, it it plays off of uh, you know the the whole discommendation and stuff, which is right cool. continuity. But but you're mm-hmm. right in that it does feel a little static in how yeah. Uh, the environment regresses to the mean. There is no added member to the cast of Alexander being around, and he's not going to be mentioned for however many more episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now, Alexander himself, uh, this this was um, casting him was 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 a a project. It was. I recall there were several steps in the in the conceptualization of this character where initially i don't know if he's going to be a mini wharf or what but the idea is like okay klingons are these warriors they yeah. are very fierce and the child the klingon children would show that ferocity even more because they haven't really learned to restrain it yet uh, it was described as an, an irritability and innate rage and i think our mm. casting director really had it set that the only person that could really accurately portray this was was a dwarf Sure. Um, I, I maybe that's not the a midget, um, and a little person. Right, right. But big of heart, and the idea being that okay, these these people are very, very. Uh, they're kind of like Klingons in a way. They go through life with these chips on their shoulders. And, sure. And they just got to keep brushing off those tortilla chips, and they're like ticking time bombs. Exactly, but it, eventually. We took a different direction for the character. The writer said, "No, let's make Alexander more of a pussy." And at that mm-hmm. point, the a dwarf couldn't um, accurately portray somebody who's uh, you know pussy footing around by virtue of how small their feet are. So, <laughs> right, right. So we scrapped that idea, uh, went back to the drawing board, and we just got a kid. Yeah, yeah. We ended up with uh, with John Stewart, who um, uh, wouldn't be sticking around. And uh, also tragically killed himself um, several decades later. Once he did realize that he'd, he'd completely failed to uh, to keep the role of a, uh, a a child's bit part in Star Trek. Yeah, it, he peaked which, which very would, early. Yeah, I mean, it ended up basically condemning him to to you know perpetual failure in basically every space. Um, you know, the sci-fi film Late for Dinner, mm. punk band Soda Pop Kids. And uh, I think most upsettingly, famed Portland vegan restaurant, Harvest at the Bindery. This, there's got to be another rank. There's master, there's jack of all trades, and then there's a failure of all trades. It's got to be the most common. Yeah, yeah. I Maybe mean, that's why there's no name for it. Now, I've always been a bit of a trader myself. Um, you, one might call me Joe. Mm. Mm. So I uh, I know a thing or two about the trades. I, I ply them. What? 
I ply my trade. You ply your trade? Is that a phrase? Yeah. Have you never heard that? No. Well, you can imagine what it means. It just means to do whatever it is you do. I ply my trade. I plumb. I, I ply my trade. Yeah. I Like, a, I'm a plumber. I plumb. Or I'm a carpenter. I build. I'm plying my trade. I'm constructing something. All right. Yeah, you sound suspicious. But I yeah, want, no, I, just, I don't know. I just never heard it before. I, I want you to rest assured. <laughs> But how do you, the Alexander character in this episode, the performance of the child is is fine. It's not really... It's a kid. It's not notable, whereas some other children characters, actors are more grating. And I think future uh-huh. depictions of Alexander do reach that level of being on the more annoying side of things. But here it's just more of a non-element. He's more of a plot device than a character or an actor. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, you're right. You do get kids that are a lot worse, uh, a lot more annoying. Um, on the other hand, sometimes you do get kids who are much sexier. Right. So uh, this uh, this this Alexander kind of falls uh, smack dab in the middle. Uh, you know, he's a jack of all trades. Right. Uh, he can. He, sometimes he's got the bedroom eyes. Sometimes he's a. Uh... Uh, rough and tumble and he, I, I he didn't know how to turn him off he sometimes he'd look at me and i'd you know children haven't yet mastered uh, controlling that power then again i haven't either <laughs> it's a good thing i can't see you over there i uh, it's i've i'm like a siren i've led many ships of men to their demise <laughs> by going wee wee <laughs> what the hell is that <laughs> oh my god it's a siren <laughs> they'll crowd around it like flies like um, the um, opening of pants of what pants you're really testing my, the limits of my knowledge today. You don't know what a fly is? Like, oh, your fly's open. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about, like, a movie. Oh, like the opening? <laughs> <laughs> the opening fan. Yeah. That's inspired. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh... All right, where were we? Um, Reunion. Alexander. Reunion. Alexander, yeah. Kalar. Okay, yeah. So Kalar, Kalar, uh, beams aboard the ship with Alexander. Worf is, oh, what? He's gobsmacked. Uh, Smacked by gob. Smacked by gob. And um, I guess they, I don't know, they, they, they talk... Oh, oh, here's how here's how it starts after the the intro. Um Alexander is in like kindergarten. He's in space kindergarten. Right, and there's all these uh 8 to 10 year olds playing with blocks. Right. Right. And you know, it's the future. And um they're watching him through the glass. I guess they go back to Kalar's room, right? Yeah. And um they uh 
they have this, you know, this back and forth about like, oh, you know, the kid is wharfs and uh, I, I can't take responsibility for him because it's, it would dishonor him and all that stuff. And um, Halar, and this is the seed of what would become the uh, the big conflict of the episode. She knows that Worf uh, wouldn't have accepted this commendation if not for some kind of, uh, you know, extenuating circumstance, right? Right. So she kind of tries to to pry him on it, um, but then then the scene is interrupted, um, like like two anime teenagers about to kiss, by uh, by Picard calling them both to the bridge. Um, yeah, he says. Which curiously. He yeah. calls them to the bridge to tell them to meet him later. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't didn't quite cool. pick up on that, but that is amazing. I love that. <laughs> needed some kind of excuse to uh, to not let Kalar know what happened. Gotta keep the mystery alive. Yeah, but um, I, I I'm I am a big fan of how it really is a spot of continuity that's the driving impetus for uh, uh basically the entire episode yeah um, i mean it's nice it's nice to uh play around in this universe and actually have consequences especially given the fact that something like this commendation is such a big thing that um it should have meaningful consequences you know Worf should, yeah, sure. should be beaten up about this he should feel like shit. He should feel like shit, fucker. He should feel like a, a big gay doo-doo man. And he is a big gay doo-doo man. <laughs> um, so. So Picard says, meet me later. And Oh, wait, you know what? I, I think I think I might have skipped over Picard meeting... Um... Tempec? Kempec? Yeah. Kentec? Kempec. Kempec. Right. Which is a great scene. I I really loved it. Um, yeah, it's one thing I really liked. Um, Charles Cooper's the lighting. The lighting was great. Uh, the political intrigue of it, of um, Picard getting drawn into this um, mm -hmm. political turmoil against his will. Uh, it's just a great scene. In yeah, I'm I'm everywhere. glad to hear you liked it too. Because uh, watching that scene, I, I remember you know very. Very explicitly thinking, like, this This is awesome. Like, this is, like, peak Trek right here. I remember in this rewatch of it, I sat forward in my chair at this part. Oh, that never happens. Realized I had leaned forward, and I'm like, wow, I'm really into this. And the episode just never, never let up from there. Yeah, yeah. Part yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a good scene. Scenes of that strength are primarily why I hold this episode in such high regard yeah um, i mean the, the the whole like you said the political intrigue it's it's really what i think i think that's that's kind of the the, the driving factor here um but also and i'm sure you'd agree that picard being thrust into this um purely because kempek uh like met him once and uh like i guess clearly respected him and confides in him, uh, despite the difference in culture. It's an interesting little little, I don't know, uh, use of of, or what do I want to say? It's 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 interesting because 
first of all, you wouldn't expect it, obviously. Hmm. Um, but it makes it makes the Klingons as a whole kind of feel a lot more intimate. Yeah, uh, and I like viewer. I think I like when um, the characters are held in high regard for logical reasons. Yeah, it's yeah. not. It's not just oh, you're Picard. You're the main character. Of course, I love you. Right, right. It's you know you on screen helped me before and demonstrated your prowess. So I'm turning to you. Um, it, it all just makes sense, and the way that fans can venerate characters and in the, mm -hmm. the meta of the show they become these great things. It's nice to see logical in-universe reasons that um, the characters are respected as as they are. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, instead of like a teenage girl running into the the hospital to see Picard hooked up to a fucking iron lung because he's two hundred years old, she's like, "Aren't you Picard? Aren't you? Aren't you John Luke Picard?" And then, the, the captain of the Enterprise, and he says, "I always love the star." <laughs> Just says, <laughs> "Some loose wind escapes his mouth." <laughs> yeah, his robotic uh, text-to-speech takes over. Oh, he is a golem. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you make me so fucking old? <laughs> I I like to imagine he's a proper like Jewish golem. He's there to protect the the Israelites. Yeah. <laughs> his his uh his driving mission whether he knows it or not is to return to Jerusalem. <laughs> That's a uh, that's that's a vaporwave image right there. Return to Jerusalem. <laughs> oh shit. Um. Uh, and we keep we keep going on these tangents. I don't know how we got there. So okay, so so Picard meets with Kempek, um, and and Kempek seems to abruptly die while he's there. Uh. Because someone's been poisoning his wine, and I guess there's no cure. Um, because of radiation. So, right, right. So what Picard needs to do is uh, help facilitate the choosing of the new uh, Klingon leader. And there's only two who really uh, qualify. Yeah. And it's um, Duras. And uh, Galron. Galron, yeah. Duras being a character we've met before, Galron being a new character, and right. um, it's I I like that dynamic. It's like all right, here's Duras, here's this guy. We know he's uh, he's up to no good, but Galron just is completely fucking insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he comes off as um, uh, a loose cannon for sure, and he's always making that face. That's just his face. Like that's the guy's face. <laughs> but it's there's like one really funny moment i think it's when galron first shows up and um someone just says like oh not not like hello galron but like oh and here's galron and the camera cuts to him and he's just sitting there with that face just looking it's, it's like a comedy shot 
And uh, the the very first shot of him in this episode um, is such dog shit quality. I think I think they lost the the original footage. Yeah, I noticed that. It's all grainy and and yeah, terrible. I, all poopy. <laughs> Why does it look like poop? <laughs> but Galron ends up being a uh, a very 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 long uh, reoccurring character. Yeah, yeah, and I I uh, I imagine we'll, we'll we'll touch upon that when we when we wrap up here for the most part, but. Uh, yeah, he's uh, and 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 I, I we were talking off mic too, and I was saying he he does he does end up looking progressively less crazy. I think yes, uh, just because you you can't have someone unhinged lead, uh, like the second most important faction in your sci-fi universe. But I think part of it is is the the depiction, but also the uh, the perception from the audience of. Yeah, yeah, you might be right about that. Yeah, because when you first meet him, you don't anything about him, and you see those crazy eyes. But once you know what he's his general shtick is and what he's capable of, and, yeah, and the fact that that's just his face, he's your assumptions change. Well, and I think I think the whole point here was was for him to be something of a red herring. Yes, um, which which I'm glad he was because like. It's it's really setting you up to expect Duras to be innocent, right? Because of right. how insane Galron appears to be, the, how insane he is, and how everyone's everyone's harping on Duras this entire episode, hmm. and you expect like, oh, actually, they shouldn't have judged him, uh, but no, he's just an asshole, and uh, I love that. I love that. It's just straightforward, completely makes sense. It's perfect. Um, one thing I do want to note about uh, about Duras was that uh, this is something a lot of people I don't know. I think uh, a lo- the writers were actually playing with the idea of um, putting him and Kalar together, mm. uh, like in a relationship. Uh, like they, they they would have started uh, dating in in the inter- interim between her episodes. Um, so like he would have beamed aboard with her. Uh, instead of just just Alexander there, um, but uh, ultimately the writers decided uh, unanimously that it just wouldn't be worth pursuing uh, because the studio preemptively cracked down on uh, the uh, the the centerpiece scene, I guess you would call it, um, where uh, Worf was going to snowball Duras's uh, uh, fluids. I guess you would call him. Yeah. Um, uh, with, with Kalar, uh, after watching them, you know? Yeah. That never made it obviously to, to filming, but it was a very, very valuable piece of knowledge that I'm thankful to have learned of, uh, the concept yes. of snowballing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, if, if the ensigns need to, uh, need to brush up on their, their lingo, you can always go to www.urbandictionary.com. Mm. It's a it's a, a fun evening waiting to happen, both learning the word and applying it <laughs> physically. Yes, yes. Now, the the Klingons are introduced. This is where the bomb goes off. 
This is where the bomb goes off. A bomb goes and off. And we get this like weird slow-mo explosion. Right. And then cut to commercial. And it's like, wow, bombs, intrigue. Mm-hmm. And the situation's already tense enough, but uh, now it's like, oh, who set off the bomb? Is it the guy sure. that I think? And actually, yes, but... <laughs> but maybe it's the new crazy guy. Right. I don't know. Galron's is cool. I... Uh, Galron was always cool. He was cool, but it's... There's a lot of guest stars in Trek. A lot of people playing a lot of different aliens. And throughout the entire franchise, Galron kind of comes as... Comes unique, unique amongst all that. I think so, anyway. There's not a lot of guest well, you're, stars you're, that you're the that. You're the DS9 guy, so... And he does factor into DS9. There's a really good episode where... Um, Galron is suspected to be a changeling and a crew uh, consisting of Cisco, Odo, O'Brien, and Worf get plastic surgery to look like Klingons and uh, go to kill him. Wow, Worf got plastic surgery to look like a Klingon? <laughs> yes, he did. But you haven't lived until you've seen uh, Klingon O'Brien. Uh, I wonder if I can just look this up right now. Probably. They all look weird, actually. The Klingon, Cisco, Klingon, Odo, but... Klingon O'Brien is the real, the real. I think I've actually one. seen this before. That seems like a good. That's no beautiful. A good non sequitur to start a Trek thread with. I think he looks good. Yeah, but it's it's just very notable. His giant Irish fucking head. <laughs> is that an Irish trait? Yeah, yeah, the giant head. The potato head. That's why they call the him potato Mr. Head. Mr. Potato Head. Right. Cisco looks terrible. Oh yeah, <laughs> and they all got these teeth in, and they sound like you know they they got big fake teeth in. Yeah, that's but, funny. But it is a really good episode. The primary conflict is that there's a like a twenty four hour, forty eight hour party going on that the characters have to endure before uh, Galron shows up, and uh -huh. they're like, "Oh my god, no more blood wine," and and Worf's like. Pussies. It's pretty good. But enough about DS9. One day I'll watch it. No, you won't. You'll never watch DS9. You're just not a man of culture. Ah, you know, I'm... maybe maybe once they uh, once they release it in HD. That'll never happen. In HD. <laughs> in HED. What happened next? The bomb goes off. They return. The bomb goes off. They return to the Enterprise. Uh, is this where Worf teaches Alexander about the art of the Batleth? Yeah, yeah. So wait, so he he picks him up from from uh, space kindergarten. Gay care. Gay care. <laughs> Brings him back to um, Kalar. Kalar's room. Right, because he's he's not getting along with the other kids. He's yeah. He's stealing... Now, this was the one strange bit of writing that I really identified in this episode. So, Alexander seems to be the typical Klingon. He doesn't get along with the other kids. He's aggressive. He um, growls <laughs> at them. So, Worf, you know, takes him out to scold him. But immediately in the next scene, Alexander 
is shown to not have much of an interest in being a Klingon or knowing about it. Right. So it, right. it's kind of playing both sides of the fence there. The implication being that Klingon aggression is genetic. Right. Which, uh... 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 <laughs> Hugging my collar right now. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. That is that it's it's an odd contrast that doesn't make any sense. Um But yeah, he, he takes her to Kaylor's he takes him to Kaylor's room. Take um, him to Kaylor. Alexander has not become trans. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we get to see Worf's sex face here. <laughs> I like uh, Worf's sex face. Which is it's it's just him uh, staring wide eyed at her, with like this dumb smirk on his face. That's just his general arousal face, no matter what's arousing him. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It could be completely non sexual arousal, and, and we there you go. No. Um, but yeah, so they're still having this problem where Worf, Worf just can't accept this uh, uh, Alexander being associated with him because of the dishonor or whatever right, right. which is uh, a good direction to take it instead of a uh like oh this kid he's not a real klingon he's not yeah yeah which by the way definitely is the direction they take it in several later episodes yeah oh you don't know our culture i don't want to <laughs> know our culture it's not my culture. literally literally kids been raised by humans for his entire life Worth thinking he's a real Klingon. Yeah, he's 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 LARPing. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Um, okay, so Kalar. All right, so so uh, at this point we've we've kind of hit like this junction where it's like um, the major issue is that the Enterprise needs to figure out who set off the bomb because Kempek is one hundred percent sure. That one of these two guys. Well, one of these two guys, uh, he says, killed him. Right. Yes. Okay. So, who whomever set off the bomb is ostensibly the one who killed him. Uh, I guess that's the logic. Right. And uh, because so... because both of these acts involve zero honor. There's no honor in killing right. somebody surreptitiously. There's no honor in um, uh, secret bombing. So. Yeah, there's, there's no honor in toiling surreptitiously either. No, that's why only madmen do it. Exactly, but they have reason to suspect that these two acts are related. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, all right, fine, fine. Um, yeah, so so they they got to figure out who set off the bomb while also stalling uh, the, the 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 choosing of the new leader long enough to be able to conduct an investigation to begin with. And the big issue is that um, there's very little ceremony involved right. in this process, at least in the modern variant. It's kind of funny how the idea is that, oh, Klingons these days don't respect the tradition. They, they, right. <laughs> they just want to get it fucking over with. Yeah, yeah, I, I did like that. And I liked I liked the idea of, because uh, Kalar introduces Picard this idea, she's in the ready room. Um uh, fish watch. I don't think there's a fish in there. No. But she introduces the idea to Picard of, 
Well, you know, uh, the ancient uh, Hawaiians. tradition, <laughs> as the ancient Hawaiians say, uh, they used to do this thing where where uh, each candidate would list off all of their um, accomplishments in battles. battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really like the idea of this dumb red tape, uh, just stalling, and uh, and the Klingons hating it, but not being able to do anything about it. Well, it's it's nice because it's you know it's kind of comical in a way, but it's also it, it ties into the whole Worf thing. Like Worf's whole uh, conflict in this episode is how he's kind of bound by tradition and uh, the meaning mm-hmm. these things have in in Klingon culture. Um, and that comes out with, oh, these guys are also inextricably bound by, uh, Klingon culture. Yeah, yeah, sure. So it's thematic, it's kind of cute, it's fun, it's nice. Yeah, it it all, for once, it all, it all connects. Um, and I guess it's, uh, oh, I did, I did want to, want to note that, uh, Kalar asks Picard about, like, what happened, um, in that, that previous episode there where Worf got discommodated. Uh, yeah. And uh, Picard says, I'm sorry, I can't discuss it. And there's like a very abrupt like end to that scene. Yeah. Where usually, usually, usually it would like linger on Picard's face after she left or something. This might be one of those times where, Oh, we have to cut 45 seconds in editing. Find any yeah. time that you can, you can cut. No, <laughs> That might be it, yeah. That might be it, but like, it's still it's still jarring. I agree. It's, There's something jarring about it. It's not the best pacing, to be sure. But um, the, I'm sorry, I can't talk about it. I do like Picard's. Uh, I don't know if it's loyalty to war or just how you can kind of tell that it's something he would, given her connection to war, something he'd like to mention. But he yeah, 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 steadfastly totally. stays on on that company and line. i mean even even more important it's it's you know like a a very very uh volatile political secret of one of the federation's biggest allies that could completely collapse their political system so um definitely makes sense that he wouldn't want it out there there's just a lot uh, of um you know f- uh, over overly friendliness in proceedings sometimes where characters will just act nonsensically in in the name yeah, yeah. of playing nice. And right, right. Like they're lovers and not coworkers. Right. So there's none of that here, which is good. Yeah. Very good. So now now uh Alexander is in Worf's room and oh, he, he oh. takes a, a liking to the uh the Batleth. Right. Which is the first appearance of the Batleth. It is the first appearance of the Batleth. Which, why don't I mean? How do you feel about the Batleth? You like it? Well, one thing I really like about the Batleth is that uh, Alexander grabs the blade. <laughs> I do like that when Alexander reaches for it. There, Worf has none of this. Like, no, that's a weapon. Don't touch it. Um, right. It's straight up. Yeah, you can play with my fucking sword. You're a warrior. Yeah. Um. Uh, which is a line that's worked for me with with many a child. Um, but Valith is just really cool very evocative design um, really really like the uh, demonstration that Worf <laughs> gives with it 
where what what the first time he like folds it you know around his arm or his arm around mm-hmm. it is where it takes on its own identity as not just being a curvy sword um yeah sure um and i mean you know if if you're like us you, you'll have watched a good two three hours of um chubby white men on youtube um displaying their prowess with with the batleth as well hell yeah it's uh it takes a lot of sight to behold. It takes a lot of training to properly use a batleth, and mm-hmm. um, I know Michael put really put in the time on on getting it right. Uh, so much, yeah. So much so that that became part of his just regular workout routine. And he would never say this, but I attribute uh, his rather cut figure on DS Nine to all of his you know, batleth training. Yeah, he 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 really uh, grew attached to that thing. Right. I think he still has the original Batleth to this day. Right. Now, I I always when I first heard the name Batleth when we were getting the script together and you know the prop uh, guys were making it, I thought it was a a borrow from Batman. Mm-hmm. But no, not at all. Yeah, you know, he's got No, his... it's uh it's kind of its own thing. Yeah. yeah. It is it is vaguely bat shaped though. Indeed it is. As most things in life are. <laughs> Well, I mean, when you put it like that, bat shaped leth. Uh, bat. Now, if you want to hear something from me, which maybe you do, yeah, um, we'll see. Later on in Deep Space Nine, Worf becomes fond of using these this other type of Klingon weapon that's more of um a pair of handheld specifically shaped i guess they're like daggers but they have yeah 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 so you've seen this and i don't know i always felt that was unfairly stealing batleth honor stealing its thunder right sure sure i mean it's it's more flexible that way though isn't it it is and it it gives some identity to things where Worf is using those things and dax would be using the batleth now, I mean, Worf has a lot of things on his wall in this episode, too. He's got, like, a sword and fucking daggers and all that stuff. He's a real mall ninja. <laughs> he's he's an operative. You know? Hell yeah. The, gov- the government comes knocking on his door. See what happens. What would happen if the government knocked on Worf's door? That's uh, that's That's my fan fiction. That's a, it's a really good skit. <laughs> Very engaging. You have anything else to say about Klingon weaponry? Uh, no. Um, uh, Kayla dies. <laughs> We're really just truck trucking along here. It's funny to me that we go on like, oh, I really. I'm never going to be caught with my pants down. I'm going to make a note on how these situations always begin at the start of the episode. <laughs> and then, like, oh, the actual plot points? I don't fucking know. Maybe they happen. Well, no, that's what happens. Kayla just dies. In this because... order? Yes, yes, in this order. Trust me, it's this order. No, 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. I literally have it written down in this order. She starts investigating. She starts investigating. Yeah, the... if you're gonna hand wave away the five scenes of her investigating. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But there's a there's a meeting where they because the Enterprise finds that the bomb 
was it uses uh, Romulan technology. Yeah. And um, that's the Cleons and Romulans are blood enemies for however long. So that's immediately a point of dishonor. Um, and it's like, oh my god, this is big stuff. They bring it to the two people that are in contention, Galron and Duras, and they their own investigations hadn't produced this. They the Picard tells about the Romulan connection. Galron immediately looks um, I don't know betrayed, angered. It's clear at that point that he's not the guy. And mm. concurrently with this, uh, Kalar is doing her investigation of the the Kittimer scandal that Duras is in, involved in. Duras gets word that this is happening, and then he goes to kill her. This this is all like ten minutes of the episode that you're just well, excuse me, brazenly. Maybe I'll leave through. the summarizing to you instead. Oh, please don't do that. <laughs> God no, don't do that. But he does kill her. He does. He does kill her. K- he Kalar's Kalar's Kalar. I barely know her. Yeah. Worf comes in and, um, well, he comes in with Alexander and, uh, he, he holds her body and then screams. He does the, the Klingon scream thing when someone dies. And, um, here's, here's my favorite part. He sets her down on the floor. Right. And, and her, her arm at this point is like in contact with the table right next to her. But she, she, like, Having already died, she kind of just like moves it, so so it's on the floor. <laughs> uh, and and we were like, yeah, that's it, you know, yeah, we'll go with that shot. <laughs> There's not always enough time to do several reshoots. I mean, to be fair, right? Yeah, yeah. What do you think? We're made of reshoots? No. I think we're made in abyss. Yes. Now, Alexander takes this very, very well in his mother's death. Well, that uh, that's just following from that one episode where the kid, the kid's mother dies, and he's just like, okay. <laughs> what was the name of that episode? The Return? I forget. The Revenant? The Revenant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. But, yeah, Klingon Howl, I like that, the scream. Um, this is where... She makes the uh, the dying request that Worf take on Alexander as his own, not in a mm. fist fight, mind you, but just as as his uh, his child, and uh, and not like the uh, not like the aha song either. Right, right. Many many confusions can be made here, misunderstandings, and Worf. <laughs> develops as a character in this moment whatever um uh-huh yeah he does i like it i don't know why i'm so dismissive of it but i am <laughs> no it's good it's great it's great because you know um it uh it leads to probably one of the best scenes in the entire fucking show specifically where, which one are you talking about well you know Worf. Worf uh goes back to his room he takes off his sash Oh, picks yes. up, picks up the bailiff, throws his badge away, and uh, he goes and teleports to the um, to Duras's ship. 
Transports. Transports to Duras' ship. Yeah, I like that. I like where that goes. Um, I'm very, very glad we were able to have you know, the end of this, this version of the scene in the show. Uh-huh. Originally, the producers put in a note, like, you can't do this. It's too violent. Too much violence in yeah. this episode. Um, Worf can win back, win his revenge um, for Kalar and uh, Klingon arm wrestling was the idea. Right. But right. Frakes, again, in his role as director, pushed to have this more violent Worf. Thank God he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we really want. I think everyone was kind of cheering that on. We wanted, um, we wanted blood. Right. And boy, did we fucking and, get it. You know, it's uh, it's cathartic too because there's so many episodes that uh, that we've seen so far. I mean, even just considering the episodes we've seen up to this point on this this rewatch, where um, the ending really isn't. Uh, it's not. It's kind of a compromise most of the time. Yes. Because I mean, it's it's meant to kind of be like a philosophical question in the good episodes. Um, in this one, it's like, well, yeah, you could argue that um, he shouldn't have killed him, I guess, but uh, you want him to kill him, right? And it's it's so it's so nice for that to finally just happen, and you it, know, it's it's even shot in the way where you would kind of expect it to be, um, yeah, to be that compromise. Worf swings at the ground, and you don't see where his blade lands. So you're like, oh, I guess he. You know, cut the ground right next to his head and it's going to let him off easy this time but no mm -hmm. just fucking kills him which is great yeah just kills him and uh yeah uh, Riker and Data get there too late now how do you feel about the, the follow up to this where well well uh in the ready room yeah the... one thing that bothered me mm -hmm. um is that Picard chastises Worf for letting his culture get in the way of his Starfleet duties. Um, but that that seems to imply that Starfleet culture uh, is entirely based on a small segment of Earth norms and standards as opposed to uh, you know anywhere else that uh, that is part of the Federation, which kind of bothered me. Well, as always, um, the the human perspective is always the default and the most important. Right, right. And not just the human, the 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 Western uh, liberalist perspective. I agree that that is annoying. That didn't stick out to me at the time, but it is a little bit of just. It just it it, it seems uh, uh, hypocritical. Yeah, I, I was about to say flimsy writing, but not really. It's more of just a lack of thought in the, the foundation of the show. Yeah, which, as we've proven time and time again, uh, there is there's quite the lack of foundation. Indeed. But aside from that, I do like the, the notion that the for the Cleons, it's a non-issue, like Worf did follow their yeah. customs. Uh, mm -hmm. This guy was dishonorable. He was a traitor. So of course they would just fucking kill him. Um, but yeah, I, I we've I don't want to rehash the argument of how their the vision of Starfleet is antithetical to the show's stated purpose of, of diversity. But this is another place it rears its head. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. 
But it's it's nice that, you know, Orf doesn't really get any consequences for this because it is his culture and, you know, the uh the Klingon High Council is totally okay with it. Mm. And Worf's gotten his share of consequences for the discommendation. And that I did like that little discussion where um Yeah. It's it's yeah. implied that this will come to a head in the future. Yeah. Well it's 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 nice that Picard kind of initiates it too. He's like, you know, it's about time we clear this up. Which is nice. Yeah. Strong ending to a strong episode. Mm-hmm. We uh, unfortunately missed out on uh, what was going to be an extra scene uh, that, that would have capped off right. uh, the ending. This also uh, would have been a bit of continuity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was talking to Brandon one day, and um, I mean, this this got cut before filming, this this idea. But he wanted to, to, to end the episode with um, with Crusher being confused about Dr. Salar not showing up to work in the morning. Right. And uh, she would have just kind of like been looking around uh, the med bay and kind of just thrown her hands up in the air and then the, the you know, the credits would start uh, flashing. Just, just really, really doing a number to our um, epileptic viewership. <laughs> but that would have been a cool little callback to last week. But I suppose this episode is already rich in continuity, and uh, as we saw with that one shot of that one scene ending abruptly, not at a surplus of time. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. Uh, everything was packed very tightly here. There is a lot in this episode. Yeah. Uh, the the political intrigue of the Klingons, finding the, the traitor and the perpetrator of this bombing and poisoning... Worf being reintroduced to his love interest, Worf being introduced to his child. Um, there's just so much happening. Uh, Picard getting con- conscripted into this whole endeavor. Uh, it's very dense, but it never feels busy or too busy. Yeah, I, but when you think about it, there's so much going on that like most of the crew just never shows up. I actually have that in my notes that they got kind of mogged by these more interesting uh, Klingon characters. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, it's a testament to how how packed the the show is that uh, they didn't they didn't have time for for Data to make any kind of like dumb quips or uh, for for Riker to do the eye thing, right? And and or yet, for Troy to say, "I'm sensing deception, Captain." And yet, they all show up in this episode. None of them are written out for the sake of time. Crusher has a line. Troy has a line. Jordy, Data, Riker. Well, I, I guess it's 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 less that they were written out and more that they couldn't have been written in. Right, right, right. Because right. there's there's just too much going on. I just think it's amazing that they managed to include them despite yeah, sure, um, all the 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 things that needed to happen, scenes right. that needed to occur. Um, I'd give this episode five out of five saucer sets. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I can help but give it a five, maybe a four and a half to a five somewhere around there. Don't like it as much as I do. Maybe not. Um, I th- I think Susie is often overacting. Yes, I could buy that. Uh, and do you think you know? I think Galron's actor is overacting. Uh, no, he's a man, so so he has no faults. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I just I just don't know if I'm comfortable with giving it a perfect score because I don't know. 
I mean, I guess it's as close to perfect as the show gets, so maybe maybe it does deserve it. I don't know. I don't like to get caught up in the um, the philosophy of giving something a perfect score. Like, oh, it's is it truly perfect? Does that matter? You just feel it. I, I feel that this episode's a five. Ah, uh, so it's a five. I give it a five to distinguish it from episodes I would give a four point five to. Mm-hmm. I give it a five to distinguish it from episodes I would give a one to. That is the Three, best. Four, five. Is the best rating system either a one or a five? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think I think this episode really went a long way in kind of um, further solidifying Worf as like the fan favorite. It 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 does a lot of meta stuff. It it buffs up Worf's character, gets him uh, in the in the spotlight, makes him popular. It sets up for the conflict in the latter half of the season. Not only does it call back to a lot of continuity, it it is uh, it sets up and is later called back to itself. So it's not just yeah high quality, but it's it's very useful in a lot of ways, which doesn't really factor into my rating of it. But it does just make it all the more um, impressive that this episode yeah, definitely. How it does. It's it's really it's really the point where uh, as 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 the audience you can finally feel like okay like they're really getting comfortable with um with real continuity here. Yes, much to Gene's chagrin. <laughs> well, he'll be dead soon anyway. Thank God. Thank God Thank for that. Dog. <laughs> Thank Doge. Who is also my co-pilot. Uh, who also takes the wheel? You know, um, you know, I I, I want to do like a, a today in Trek kind of thing. Did something happen today in Trek? Well, it doesn't matter uh, if anything did really, but you know, it's like when we're doing the podcast, we might as well do like you know what happened today in Trek, right? Okay. Um, and uh, today in Trek, obviously, obviously, obviously not literally today, but the. The same month and day, uh, different year. On this day uh, in Trek. On this day, uh, July thirtieth, um, the uh, the fireman from Twin Peaks is born. Is this in Trek? Also known as uh, uh, Luxana's, um slave servant, right? Also known as Lurch, in the new Adams family. Not the original. Okay. Yeah, that's what happened today. Is, is this today in, on this day in Trek or just on this day? Wait, he was in Trek. Oh, okay, there we go. You said that, and I still just couldn't figure out the connection. <laughs> <laughs> he, he played the gong. Right, the... Um, the... What is the name of that culture? The Beta Zen, the Gong of Beta Yeah, the Beta Zen. Yeah, yeah. While you eat, you just have to listen to someone bash a gong the entire time. Which sounds like what, a, what an inspired choice. Sounds like one of the funniest scenes in the show, but watching it is just trying. I feel like I remember enjoying that. You would. Enjoy you it. would. Hollywood. Um, I don't really have much in the way of trivia for you because I, 
I mean, you nothing, nothing you should have funny. asked me what bit actor from earlier Trek was born on this day in Trek. That was shit. You, you, yes. Um, uh, well, sabotage so yourself. I, instead, I'm just going to read an article from Memory Alpha for you. Hell yeah. Um, Ghost Ship is a pocket TNG novel. The first in the TNG numbered series. Written by Diane Carey. Uh, and, and, and here's the book jacket. In 1995, a Soviet aircraft carrier is destroyed by a mysterious creature that just as mysteriously disappears thereafter. Over 300 years later, Counselor Deanna Troy awakens in her quarters from a nightmare in which she senses the voices of the crew of that Russian ship whose life essences were somehow absorbed by the creature that destroyed them. And the nightmare heralds a danger to the USS Enterprise D itself. For if Picard can't discover a way to communicate with the creature, it could absorb his crew just as it did the Russians. Please stop. And um, the amazing thing about this novel is that uh, it was written before the series even started. Really? So, yeah, so none of the characters behave correctly, apparently. That actually sounds mildly interesting for that fact. Right. Right. See, I knew you'd like it. Yeah, that is cool. Um, so what? Was the series being filmed or written at the time? And they just commissioned Yeah, well, so it was it was before it was before the series even launched. It was before some people even got casted. Does the novel describe uh, Picard's flowing it's uh, <laughs> a great question i don't know there's not uh memory alpha doesn't have um excerpts yeah unfortunately but uh it does say data uses contractions i can't i can't stand that hate it <laughs> throw it in the bin <laughs> terrible novel data oh, oh here's contract. here's uh-uh. <laughs> he <laughs> he can't refract either um here's here's another point that that you might like the the plot revolves around a soviet aircraft carrier disappearing in 1995 right and i'm sure where you're going like you know where this is going right yes um the novel was published in 1988 so um it's there's obviously no way for them to predict it's really funny that you mentioned this because i was just watching an episode of voyager where the crew goes back to 1996 L.A., uh-huh. which is just incredibly eye-rolling. I rolled my eyes when I saw this. <laughs> but Like, uh, every Star Trek has to do this. Right. And there's nothing meaningful or clever about it. Just straight up, they're back in L.A. Anyway, um, they run into a character played by Sarah Silverman. And, oh. Yeah, it's awful. And... She's playing a, um, I don't know, an astrophysicist, somebody that mm. has seen Voyager orbiting the Earth and is suspicious of this. And the characters have to go like grab Data from her lab, so she runs into some of the crew and they're trying to play this lie. Wait, Data's in the episode? Very nice. They're trying to play this lie <laughs> that um, they're not, you know, space aliens or whatever. You know, Tuvok's got like a do rag on covering his ears. It's very stupid. Nice, um, nice. But basically tom paris is trying to concoct a lie explaining their presence and he says oh that's a soviet um satellite put up by the ussr 
And mm. of course, the line is USSR. They they dissolved however many years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, so just serendipitous that you would mention this right after I watched that uh, episode. Oh, so it's like uh, oh, it's it's like it's like a little bit. That's kind of funny though. It is kind of funny that you know the the characters have this vague understanding of history, but obviously not well enough to immediately right 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 reconcile when, when it's the, the question of like like eight years or whatever then it's like right oh yeah of course they would mess that up anyone would that's that's funny i like that um but yeah anytime time travel is introduced into something like this it's just like why oh there's a actually there's a meta line in this in that episode commenting on that no um, oh. janeway says the the day i became a starfleet captain i swore i would never get involved with any time travel or um paradoxes or anything like that jesus the uh the original series did time travel way too often it's to the point where the show alludes to regulations for time travel at several points the, the shows do tng the it would it, it would have to right it, i mean they have a temporal prime directive ugh. It's so stupid. Just don't even open that jar. Right. Yeah, time, it's very difficult to do a satisfying time travel story in a series that has continuity. You know? You, you yeah, can... not only continuity, but I mean, like, uh, Star Trek as a whole is fairly well realized. I mean, it feels like you can suspend your disbelief for the most part to watch pretty much all of it. And then people start fucking time traveling. Right. And then that's all right, I guess. Time travel, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's stupid. It is dumb. Did you know that the the plural of paradox is paradoxes? No, but uh, it doesn't make sense. That's actually something I just made up. Oh. A rare occurrence on the readier room that I make something up. Yeah. Yeah, usually you're not quick enough to do that. No. What? Huh? Huh? Anyway, um, <laughs> astounding lack of trivia this week, but I'll I'll chalk that up as a win for Sorry. me. Sorry. No, it's just it's just uh, this episode was too good. It was. I you can't. There's nothing like funny about it. No, which makes her very less than compelling podcasting why we talked about books for an hour <laughs> but i just want to restate how much i i do truly love and enjoy this episode i think it's excellent mm -hmm. very good yeah so that'll do it for another week of the readier room a rare abjectly positive week on the readier room uh, as always, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Denny's, home of the Grand Slam and Moons Over Miami, and also the Pep Boys, home of the 15-minute oil change. Say Readier at either of these fine establishments or type in discount code Readier if you're on their uh, digital platforms and you'll get 15% off your purchase or order. That's going to be it for this week. We will see you again in a different time, in a different place, but I hope that the next time we meet, as always, you will be Readier. Troublesome little man child. I stand before you defrocked, condemned to be a member of this lowest of species. Thank you, Ensign. Engage.
Cosmos. Inside the bottle, bottle. 